1: visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its
0: staff, and management.
2: This is the Business Locker Room Show with Kelly Riggs. In business, you have to play to win. You need an edge. You'll find that edge in the business locker room. Hey, business is like sports, and I want to bring the locker room to the boardroom. Giving you the playbook and the coaching you need to improve your business performance. With compelling interviews, cutting edge business tactics and ideas, and the X's and O's segment with Miles Austin. I welcome in my good friend, Miles Austin. Welcome to the business locker room. Now, Here is your host, Kelly Riggs.
1: And hello, everyone. Welcome to Biz Locker Radio, presented by the Business Locker Room. Great to have you on board. We are operating at the intersection of sports and business, and this is the online show with compelling conversations and useful content you can use today. If you're looking to improve your business performance, guaranteed you're in the right place, whether you own a business, sell a product, manage a team. Or lead a company. This is definitely the show for you. Great to have you on board. I'm Kelly Riggs and I am your host. You can find me on Twitter at Kelly Riggs. This is Biz Locker Radio. We have experts in sales and marketing and social media, business strategy, leadership, and much, much more. A couple of very special guests today I'm excited to, to have online. By the way, do like I do go on uh, iTunes, download the podcast. Especially for today's program, I can assure you, you're going to want to hear what we talk about today at two or three different times. Listen to it on your daily commute. This is show number 50 of Biz Locker Radio. The content on our previous shows has been spectacular. I want to make sure you get a chance to be a part of the show. At later part of the show, Marissa Levin will join us. She's one of the coaches in the business locker room and writing monthly on the for our blog and uh, We're going to talk about strategies for peak productivity. I suspect that we'll get into that in the first part of the show as well. I'm really excited to welcome in a couple of guys. that, If you're in the sports world, you probably heard a little bit about Focus 3 and Tim and Brian Kite after the Ohio State Buckeyes won the national championship. Their name came up quite a few times. Uh, was featured in a number of publications, uh, both on video and print. Wall Street Journal did a piece. Sports Illustrated did a piece. ESPN did some work uh, that I saw as well today. And we're excited to have those guys join us. We're going to talk about some of the work they're doing with Ohio State. So Tim and Brian, both joining me today, great to have you guys on board. Thanks for joining me.
3: Thanks for having fun, Kelly. Appreciate it very much. Yeah, Yeah, great to be here with you.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. You know, it's going to be interesting because the first time I've actually had two people on at once and over the next several weeks, I'm going to have two people on at once uh, in, on multiple occasions. But Tim, let me start with you. Uh, this is Focus 3 is your company and uh, you're, you're sort of the guy that put all of this together. Brian now serving as the CEO and I know you guys work together, but just give the, the audience a little bit of background on Focus 3 and how it all came to be.
3: Um, you know, I'm going to be stepping into an elevator here for a second. Brian, why don't you give that a shot, and then I'll be, uh, I'll be right there, Kelly, just a second. Oh, that would be
1: perfect. Thank you. Brian, I'll let you run with it.
4: Yeah, see, I, see, this is what happens when you get two people on for the first time. One of them gets under the elevator. And the other <laughs> one roll. It's the yeah. ultimate teamwork here, Kelly, right off the bat.
1: Well, we're, so, what, what, so, what, we're, what we're going to do is I'm going to practice that E plus R equals O thing right out of the chute. You know what it, I mean? That's <laughs> it. That's right. More, more to come on that.
4: The, the i can give you I can give you some information on on some of the background of our company and and certainly pK can tell you more about that and, and whenever you talk to a father and a son who are running a company together it's always interesting that they call each other yes and uh, and so so for your guys reference point for listen, for the listeners listening in I'm Brian kite, but I go by bK and he's Tim kite he goes by pK so whenever we go somewhere with every client and all of the teams we work with it's always BK and TK coming in, so that's, nice. uh, that, that, that's what it is. So we ever slip into BK and TK, that, that's who we're referring to. So, so my dad, Tim, formed our company about 25 years ago, and he, he ran track at UCLA and was always very interested in where uh, high-level performance came from. Why did some athletes perform better than others when certain levels of talent that were on par, why did some athletes win all the time and others really struggle? And so he, he was he was really ignited by that passion back from his days in Westwood, UCLA's campus as an athlete. And then growing up right, myself Tim, playing Tim college football. Back. Sorry about that.
3: Sorry All about that. Right, no problem.
4: You know, our, my, my passion kicked in in the same uh, as it did for him. I played college football, and, uh, and, and I was interested in the differences in performance when I was a, a youth football player and then a high school football player and a collegiate football player. And I was not the biggest or the fastest or the tallest, um, but the measure of success I was able to find was because of things that didn't happen on the physical realm. And, uh, and as he had started and ran a lot of business strategies and working with companies around leadership and working with companies around strategic approaches and, and teaching that personal side as well, my passion was always to bring it to the athletic field. And I only had two rules. I didn't want to work in business. And I didn't want to work with my dad. <laughs> and now here we and now, here we are ten years later, and what I found out is that it, it wasn't about business or sports; it was about people. And yeah. it was it was you know, and I and I deeply deeply enjoyed working with my dad. I, you know, we we've been fortunate, knock on the wood, to work together for ten years now, and and it's been one of the the deep joys of my life. It, it's been incredible to. Learn from him. It's been incredible to operate under him. It's been incredible to grow—at least myself. I'm selfish in this. It's been incredible to to grow in this with him and to now be own, running and operating this business together. Um, it, it's just—it's so much fun. I can hardly even put it in words.
1: Tim and Brian Kite are my guests here on BizLocker Radio. You can find them, by the way, online at Focus Three Organizational Culture com. We'll talk more about what they do there. And you heard the run-up to the show. You can see why I had such immense interest in talking with you guys because we the business locker room is about learning those lessons in sports and applying them to business, and, and they're so analogous. And, Tim, I, I'm, tell me how you first got started on the sports side. I, I know that you had a long background in organizational consulting. How, how did you first make the transition over to the sports realm?
3: Well, Kelly, I'm not sure – I'm not sure I ever stopped having um, you know, a focus on the sports side. Right. But the real, I think, breakthrough, if you will, mm-hmm. is when Urban Meyer and I met at a fundraiser at his home uh, a few years ago. And I've always done, by the way, some pro bono consulting or coaching and training inside athletics, but it was, uh, it was never a focus. It was never a, a big, significant piece of our business. But when Coach Meyer and I met a few years ago at his home, um, he stopped, I was not only there, my wife and I were there for a few minutes and bumped into him and he asked me what I did for a living. And I told him that I uh, ran a consulting firm that focused on leadership and culture. He said, you do that for business. I said, yes. He said, sit down, let's talk. And he learned about how we do what we do and wanted to start working with us right away. So, that really was, if you will, a breakthrough moment for us with regard to working in athletics.
1: Well, much of what I have read, it, 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 there, there's commentary that says, you know, a lot of sports teams will bring in a speaker, a motivational speaker, get someone to come in and fire up the troops. And of course, I, I'm, I'm like Brian. I grew up in sports, I played high school, I played college. And, and I've coached uh, football with, with kids uh, all the way up to the semi-pro level for, for quite some time. Finally gave all that up uh, about 10 years ago when my kids left. But I, I was around that, too. But you guys are nothing like that. You, you're, you're actually inserted into the background, into the culture of the Buckeyes. And I would suggest that, that that's an essential part of really trying to, to create some organizational change. You're really not going to have much of an impact just in a one-off kind of event.
3: I, absolutely correct. One of the things that Coach Meyer and I have talked about multiple times is that almost every sports team, college and I think a lot of the uh, professional teams, they try to do leadership and culture development by having an occasional speaker, having the players read a book. Maybe there's, you know, there's posters in the wall uh, some motivational videos, but nothing systematic and ongoing. We provide a system, a systematic approach to building great leaders, great culture, and winning behavior. And when Coach Meyer saw that, he said, I want to implement that systematic approach. So, no, it's not just a workshop or you know, one session or three or four. It's many. It's multiple over time, over time, over time using a system. And that's right. what we've been doing for Ohio State. We do it for some others as well, and it's it's been awesome.
1: Well, Tim, let's turn our attention to the E plus R equals O formula. That's been highlighted. Uh, The players uh, wear those wristbands, and we've seen that in some of the media that's come out. Give us sort of the, the foundational piece of how you guys begin to work on culture and the role that that particular formula plays.
3: Absolutely. That is an equation that stands for event plus response equals outcome. And it's a systematic way to look at situations that you face and respond with intention, purpose, and skill. And you don't control the events of life. You don't directly control the outcomes of life, but you always have control over how you choose to respond. And so the R in that equation is the one thing that you control, and it's the one thing that makes all the difference. And so if you respond more effectively than your competition, you win. But it's a learned thing. It's a skill that we teach but not just the formula. There's no magic in the formula. In fact, we Go say ahead. this. The R factor doesn't, doesn't provide magic. It teaches skills. So we have installed and have continued to teach, reinforce, and coach E plus R equals O, the R factor in Ohio State. And it's a big piece of a, it's an R factor culture now at Ohio State. It's, it's all about how do you respond. And so the, the, the coaching staff, the players are constantly – working on how to respond more effectively to challenging situations to get the best possible outcome.
1: Now, I'm going to assume that you guys are actually uh, not just doing this in a classroom style. Perhaps that's a big piece of it, but I would assume perhaps there's some involvement on the practice field as well. Is that a fair assessment?
3: Yes, but it's the coaches who do that, not us.
1: Ah, very good. Okay, so you're training the the coaches, coaches and the coaches insert themselves in that part? There you go wow that that 's pretty phenomenal, so how you know it, it is it 's simple i 'm sitting here looking at uh, the the wristband on my computer monitor it 's a, a very simple concept. How do you begin the process of getting people to take that pause and to, and to think intentionally? Before they respond in a certain way, how, how, how do you start that process with an 18 year old kid who's you know right out of high school shows up on campus and you know he's used to being the biggest and the best kid around and now suddenly he's got to adapt to a lot of different things. How, how do you start that process?
4: Brian, Brian, want to respond? Yeah, to that? yeah. This, it, it, it's it's a, it's a great question because because one of the things we ask everybody and and an 18 year old uh, you know athletes are are a uh, a great example and sports is great because it's so evaluation friendly and there's things we want right away. And the thing about sports is E plus R equals O happens in a practice. It, it happens thousands of times. You know, the event is, and pick your sport. I mean, you know, the event is if you're, a, you're, if you're a swimmer, you get in the water and you need to do, you know, a thousand laps. I wasn't a swimmer and probably because they told me I needed to do a thousand laps. And I did about two and wanted to jump off the <laughs> diving board. Right. But, you know, but it's football or basketball or whatever it is. You know, the event is the context in which you need to perform a certain task, and then you perform that task, and in sports, you win or you lose. You, you beat your man or you don't. You, you, you score the basket or you don't. And if you don't score the basket, it's always because the R was not deserving of that outcome. When it is, we produce it. If our stroke is right, if our fingertips are right, if our hips are right, if we measured it, if we elevated it, if we... Targeted, if you have the right focus, the ball goes in the basket most of the time. Uh, you know, take, take your analogy in any sport. So the first is that E plus R equals O represents the physics of how everything works. And go beyond sports. It's the parenting process. It's the sales process. It's the customer service process. It's the leadership process. It's all a series of events, how we respond to them, and then the outcome that our responses create. So the first thing we encourage people to do, whether it's an 18-year-old four-star athlete at Ohio State or or some other school, or whether you are a 55-year-old sales executive or CEO or somewhere in between, the first thing you have to do is you have to acknowledge the physics of the world around you through the lens of E plus R equals O. If you don't, then what lens are you using to process the things that happen to you every minute of every day? It's a question we ask everybody. Mm -hmm. I'm not attached to E plus R equals O because, you know, uh, of some PowerPoint we put together. Here's what I'm attached to. I'm attached to the physics, and I'd like all of our clients and I'd like everybody to be attached to the physics in the same way. If you don't use E plus R equals O, my question is, what do you use for processing your life and your decisions day-to-day, moment-to-moment? Once we put that in front of people, we usually have everyone's attention. From that point forward, it's about getting really, really good at managing that process.
1: What I and, that applies, you,
4: and that applies to everything.
1: Yeah, what I, what I hear you saying, I, I think, what I hear you saying is that the results that people are getting are the results they should be getting based on the way they do things and the way they approach that particular event. You're, you're reframing the event and causing them to pause and develop the skills that will change the response. Is that, is that a fair way to say that? Yeah, yeah and, and I'll, I'll, I'll,
4: I'll, the, very, I'll I'll say it in a very direct fashion. Your habits are perfectly, re- are perfectly
3: designed to get the results they're getting.
5: Right, okay. There you go.
3: Tim? Right? That's, I, he, he, he said what I was going to say. Same thing. Your R factor is perfectly designed to get the outcomes it's getting. And I'll, I'll say it this way if the R never changes, your O never changes. Right. The only way to a better outcome is a better response. So don't blame the E if your R isn't working. Don't blame the E, choose a better R. Makes right. sense to everybody. People look up there going, Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah,
1: there's it, no way around it. Well, you know, it's interesting, Tim, uh, you and I have been around uh, longer than Brian, clearly. And, you know, it, it's, it seems to be harder and harder to find people who have some of the character traits that would allow them to do that. I mean, humility is in short supply. It seems old fashioned and out of date. You know, some of the things we asso- associate with character. How do you get some of these young, brash, 17, 18, 19 year old kids to see the light of day on this particular equation?
3: Well, we have a worksheet that we use that I think is extremely valuable and helpful, both for athletes, coaching staffs, like Brian said, all of our business clients. We divide it, and there's three columns, an E column, an R column, and an O column, event, response, outcome. And we have people identify any event that they're dealing with and write it down, and that's in the left-hand column. And then the R, the response column, is divided into above and below a line. Mm -hmm. And then we ask, when this event happens, how do you respond? And above the line is the kind of response that that you want, and below the line is the response you don't want. And then there's a third column, which is, again, the O, or the outcome column, and it, too, is divided above and below the line. And so we have the athlete identifying E that happens, how they respond above the line, and what kind of above-the-line outcome they want or they get. And then how they react below the line sometimes and then below the line outcome that they get. And that's a map. That's a blueprint. I look at it and I go, that's what I do. I behave effectively. I get the outcome I want. I behave ineffectively. I don't get the outcome I want. And then that's driven by their decision, by their choice, by their mm-hmm. habits and skills. Mm-hmm. So when they, and you can do that for any situation that you face. And when they look at that and see that, we help them understand that you are making r-factor decisions all day every day about the weight room, about strength and conditioning, and about how you practice, about about how you perform in a game. W- game film is essentially what? Even practice film. You're, you're watching your response to challenging situations your coaches put you in. Right. And so as you begin to recognize and see in seeing yourself, my r-factor is my decision. You begin to hopefully, and this is a whole journey, the whole process, is developing more and more capacity to respond above the line to those situations that you get in pursuit of the outcomes that you want. And then the real power, I think, Kelly, in this is when you start to become very outcome-oriented, you don't react to events, you're responding in pursuit of outcomes and constantly getting better, improving and getting better and improving. Real quick, one other thing that we teach them is this, and and we've gotten this from the Navy SEALs, under pressure, under stress, you don't rise to the occasion you revert to learned behavior. Right.
1: right. And when and, and
3: athletes see this, yes, and they, they, they also recognize in the classroom, you know, under pressure, what happens in the test, uh, in a class or a paper, well, you, you revert to learned behavior. If you have not developed character attributes and habits that are above the line, then you don't get the outcome that you want. And so there's feedback. Like Brian said, life is evaluation-friendly. Football is evaluation-friendly.
2: And if I'm not getting
3: the outcomes that I want, I need to build into myself, self-awareness, courage, um, the skill associated with responding above the line.
1: You're listening to Biz Locker Radio, episode number 50, by the way. Great to have you on board. My very special guests are Tim and Brian Kite, K-I-G-H-T. You can find both of them at Focus3OrganizationalCulture.com. Absolutely remarkable story. We're going to take a quick time out. We're going to come back on the other side. And when we rejoin Tim and Brian, we're going to talk about how you take some of these ideas and have an impact on your workplace culture. And we'll talk about the impact that this small equation can have on the way you do business. Stay with me. I'm Kelly Riggs. This is BizLocker Radio
2: on Voice America. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
5: Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com.
1: Hi, this is Kelly Riggs, the host of BizLocker Radio. How do you take a company from zero to zero? to $100 million in sales revenue in only seven years. Learn how in the brand new book by Mark Roberge, The Sales Acceleration Formula. As the chief revenue officer for HubSpot, Mark Roberge hired, trained, and managed a sales team to create over 12,000 new clients in 70 countries. Now in his brand new book, The Sales Acceleration Formula, he shares the art and science of of building predictable sales revenue from the ground up. Learn how this MIT-trained engineer put data and technology at the foundation of his sales methodology to grow from zero to $100 million in sales in only seven years. The Sales Acceleration Formula will teach you how to predictably hire and train salespeople and scale your sales revenue. Pre-order the Sales Acceleration Formula by Mark Roberge at Amazon.com today.
2: America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
1: This is Dan Walshman, and you're listening to the Business Locker Room Show with Kelly Riggs. Hey, welcome back to Biz Locker Radio. Great to have you on board, as I mentioned operating at the intersection of sports and business, a show that brings you the kind of compelling conversations that offers up useful content that you can use in your business today. And we're really pressing the line on business and sports in that intersection today as our guests join me from Focus 3, Tim and Brian Kite, who have become well-known in recent months as being involved in working with Ohio State University and Urban Meyer and his team. And, of course, uh, Brian, it had to be exciting for you guys to see the Buckeyes overcome a 15-point deficit in the Sugar Bowl and rally to win that game. Uh, let me let me put you on a spot. I mean, this is a difficult question. I recognize that it is, but how well do the Buckeyes do without you two guys this year?
4: <laughs> that's a, uh, a great question. Here's what I'll tell you: Irvin Meyer won
1: two national championships
4: before he had ever even heard of Tim O'Brien Kite. So I'll, right, I'll put right. that Good out there, okay? Right. Good point. Okay. Right. That's fair. But but here's what I will say. I can I can recall. We were talking about this the other day. Here's what I can I can tell you. I can recall watching the the national championship game. I can recall watching the Sugar Bowl. I was we were at both of those. We were sitting next to each other. And if you recall, in the national championship game, Ohio State had four turnovers uh, to Oregon's none. Um, they they Ohio State intercepted a pass in the very last play of the game. For all intents and purposes. Ohio State had four turnovers, and Oregon had zero for the entire game. Well yep. the percentages of teams that win games when the turnover margin is 4-0 to zero is less than
1: 1%. That's correct.
4: And so this is in the national championship game. And I can remember watching after the turnovers, and a couple of them were really bad turnovers, either, either poor plays, uh, fluke turnovers, easy for a lot of stuff to happen. I can remember watching the players after the turnovers, and I remember thinking to myself, We have trained you for two years for this moment. Please, please respond intentionally. And I watched them, and they did. We watched them, and they did. And then we saw Oregon making minor errors, dropping passes, which are, compared to an interception, not as big of an event. But we watched the Oregon players get frustrated. We watched them start to uh, blame each other. We watched them start to complain. We saw changes in their body language. And so we watched the difference, and that's when you get to that stage, that's the margin. You know, you get to that stage, and how easy would it have been for the Ohio State players after all that time off against against Alabama to go down by 15 and say, you know what, this is what everyone said would happen, and allowed their minds to drift to a weak place where they allowed the national narrative and the popular culture of Alabama football to just go along with the past. And follow that pattern and just kind of let it go. And so while I'm not going to say, I think it would be an overreach to say that they wouldn't have been there without us. They have tons of talented players and tons of talented coaches. Here's what I will say. There's a lot of teams that have talented players and a lot of teams that have talented coaches. And this year, at a minimum, they needed the skills that we had been training for two years. I don't know if they would have gotten those skills without us, but they certainly needed them to win this
1: season. Yeah, no question. Tim, let me ask you, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the comparison between sports and business. Clearly, you know, my company, the business locker room, how, how similar are they in your mind? So what, what, what can you take away from the sports field and translate into the, the boardroom and vice versa? What can you take out of the boardroom and take into the locker room? How, how closely are those aligned in your mind?
3: I think they're very closely aligned, and and what's really fun, fascinating, fulfilling for Brian and for me is that we don't significantly change our approach when we work with businesses when we work with sports because of the word he used earlier in this in this conversation, which is physics. E plus R equals O works in in sales and service and an organizational business culture, just like it does in practice or weight room or a game and, and, uh, on the football field or basketball court or whatever. So th- th- there's just an enormous amount of similarity. Here, however, is a really interesting difference between business and sports. Every day in business is game day. Yes. And in football, you spend most of your time practicing and then you play on Saturdays or Friday nights if it's high school or Sundays at NFL. So you sure. practice, 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 and occasionally play. In business, every day is game day and you don't get a whole lot of opportunity to have that definitive focused practice time that you get in athletics so for that reason I think the business world is more difficult, more challenging for people to perform consistently because you don't get that focused coaching and focused practice that you do in in an athletic environment. So that's the biggest difference that I see. And I I think it's really important, therefore, for business people to take these kinds of tools even more seriously, because every day is game day.
1: Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And it's quite the enlightened leader who will take some time out of every week or every month and create some programmed intentional practice time to actually put those skills together and it's, it's just so much harder too. a lot of a lot of organizations brian lack the culture that you find on a championship team like ohio state i know that you guys stress culture dramatically you use the quote that strategy eats culture for breakfast and pre from peter drucker how, how do you take this this whole formula in your approach how do you begin to impact workplace culture what's your process for that
4: yeah, and we really try to go beyond you know that that famous quote of culture each strategy for lunch or breakfast or whatever meal we're at. Because <laughs> that, that kind of right, it kind of pits them against each other. And yes, so we it does. you know we'll, we'll use it, but it pits them against each other. and We don't believe in that. Here's what we believe about culture. And then when I say we believe this, it's not our belief. Uh, it's so much. Here's what we've recognized. I don't. It's not about whether I believe in gravity, right? Gravity exists regardless of my belief. Here's what we've recognized as the physics of business or team performance in the same way that we've recognized gravity. And that is this. Culture is a concrete core performance driver of results. And here's here's what we teach. The purpose of culture exists to energize the behaviors called for by your strategy and your process. We think culture gets a bad rap in the corporate space and ultimately, I think, even in the athletic space. But, but, but it, let's look at it from a business or and organizational perspective. Culture gets a bad rap because where does culture show up on the spreadsheet?
3: Yeah,
1: po- hard to measure. number
4: of culture, right? Mm-hmm. And so it gets talked about, but at the end of the day, it kind of gets relegated to a secondary item. It gets, it gets phrased alongside things like soft skill, right, which is a right. term that I, we can't stand the term soft skill. A, because <laughs> they're the hardest to build. Two, because they produce the most financial ROI. But culture-wise, culture exists to engage the behaviors called for by your strategy. What happens if you have a, an A-plus strategy, but you have a C-minus culture? What, what happens real life in a business if that happens? Well, I'm going to tell you what you get. You are not going to get anywhere near an A-plus executed strategy. You're going to get an A-plus a+ strategy executed at a C-minus level. Because your strategy can only be executed up to the level your culture allows. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely it does. Right. And in so fact, as you're saying that companies. to me, Brian, I'm thinking about what you were saying about Oregon and, and their responses to the, you know, the minor mistakes that they were making. That's a cultural issue, clearly. And, yes. and, and these are very talented players, and yet they're failing at a level that you wouldn't expect.
4: Correct. And so we see hospitals, banks, manufacturing firms, Um, IT organizations, you know, the government, uh, energy, utilities, athletic uh, institutions, financial or uh, accounting firms. We see them. They've got well-designed strategy. They have incredibly smart people. They've got high-end technology. They've got process engineering. They've organized themselves. They've got high-paid executives. They do change initiatives. And what happens? What do we still struggle with? Attitude. Mindset. Communication, trust, conflict, they're all cultural elements, and mm-hmm. none of those things, none of them show up on a spreadsheet. And so I think we gravitate towards things that show up on a spreadsheet and technical skills because they're easier to touch. What's easier to train someone in, accounting skills or emotional management and, and, and teaching someone how to be resilient in the face of adversity? Well, it's much easier to teach accounting.
3: Mm-hmm. So let's,
4: let's go re-engineer the process. Let's go put new accounting skills in place. And, and there's only so much of that that can be done, and there's a lot of people that are great at that, and we don't want anyone to stop it. But where we want to play is we want to help you install and put a culture in place that drives it. And what that's about is that's about affecting four things because culture is, very, is talked about but very rarely defined. So at least for our listeners' purposes, we'll give you the four, the four elements of culture that we define. Culture is what people think, it's what people believe, it's how people behave and the experience that they have. So it's really four things, thoughts, beliefs, behaviors, and experiences, and so listen to the terminology that people use, culture change, culture transformation, right? We're going to come in and build a culture. Well, let's just replace the word culture with one of those four words. We're talking about belief change, belief transformation. Build a belief system. Have you ever tried to change someone's beliefs, Kelly? Like, have you ever had to have a conversation with them about what they believed in?
1: Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. That, that can be tough.
4: There you go. And so it's the hardest stuff to do in business. It's the hardest thing. And because when it comes down to it, what has more capacity to drive day-to-day behavior and decisions: The strategy or what I believe?
1: Yeah, what I believe. No question. It's going to be what I
4: believe. So we want to build that belief. We want to build that experience. We want to build that, that, that aligned thought process, and not just in a person, but we want to build it in a group of people. Because the only thing more powerful than a person acting from commitment to a purpose is a group of people acting from an aligned commitment to a purpose. And that's what you saw with an Ohio State team, and that's what you see in the top performing organizations in any industry, anywhere on the planet.
1: So, Tim, I can see where the above the line behavior and below the line behavior is really going to make an impact in the workplace level. Let me ask you specifically about values. I have to believe that you're a, you're a strong proponent of creating some very specific values and using those as anchors or milestones or something of that nature in, inside of an organization so you can identify that above the line and below the line behavior. Is that a true statement or do you come at it a different way?
3: That's a true statement, but I actually think Brian already answered most of that question, Kelly, because what I think there's a mistake that organizations make in thinking that. That the the primary driver of culture is a Pulitzer Prize winning core value statement that's right. written down to someplace and you know framed and put right. on the wall and, and etc. Well, we've discovered and observed that that, that ain't so. Right. And hey, Kelly, fact, hey,
4: Kelly, real, hey, real quick, I'll put, we'll put you on the spot. We'll, we'll we're going to interview the interviewer real quick. Okay. We said what are the what are the values? If I if I listed you every company, what values are on almost every single company's core value list?
1: Well, not only do you it expect on- to see. Yeah, not only is it on every core value list, but the, the remarkable thing is that even though we know that they don't know it, you know, you hear things like integrity and honesty. You want team players. You want people who are responsible and dependable. You know, all all yeah. the same kinds of things. Yeah, yes, got it. They,
4: yeah. every company says the exact same thing. Yes, they do. Says, here's the, here's the secret, and, and TK, I know you're going to talk about VBO here in a minute. Here's the secret, Kelly. They all say it, and none of them really mean it.
3: Oh, well, they don't even know what it says, Brian. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, a couple things that drive the way we approach it. The first is the term core value. The term core is it's it's an adjective. It's a it's a modifier, and it describes what kind of values you're after. So we ask we ask uh, all of our clients, or we know keynotes, how many of you have seen the term core values? Everybody says yes. Great. What does the word core mean? People hesitate for a second. Someone says center or really fundamentally important. They go, yeah, kind of, but that's not what it literally means. Core is the Latin word for heart. Yes. It means heart. And so yes. a core value, by definition, is a value that resides on someone's heart. Not a poster value, but a core value. So the entire, what Brian said a moment ago, the, the difference between a core belief on my heart versus a concept, concept in my head is profound I will compromise, under pressure, I will compromise a concept, but under pressure, I will not compromise a core belief. I will behave, especially the way I believe under pressure, if it's on my heart. And that's the whole challenge of leadership and culture building, is to get the values off of the posters into the hearts of your people, so it shapes their behavior so in fact they deliver that kind of experience. So we developed years ago an approach to building culture called VBO. It stands for Value Behavior Outcome and it's a cultural blueprint and for every core value the, the behavioral side is what are the three essential behaviors we're all going to engage in driven by that core value. So for example take integrity. We facilitate a process where our clients Identify the three core behaviors they agree to, to to engage in consistently, driven by integrity. And what outcomes do you want, and do you get when you, in fact, behave that way? The values and, of and Kelly,
4: uh, and Kelly, I just said I know you. I know you I know we, we're talking about this, and, and you, I want you. I wanted you to keep going here, TK. But I, I do want to make this point because I, for the listeners, because this is something that listeners can do. It's certainly something that we've done for from the top organizations in the world but I want to make this point because anyone can can do this process. Here's what happens in that process with the values and 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 they get into the behaviors and they want to list every behavior hmm. mm-hmm. from integrity. And they want to list every version of what integrity could possibly mean. Right. And at that point it becomes it becomes irrelevant. It becomes no one does that, and it's not real. So where we've made our mark and where this process makes its mark is in the simplicity and in the, in the minimalist clarity. First, we say, don't say integrity. Say what you really mean by that. You know, and if you say, tell the truth, okay, well, then, then that means it. That means tell the truth, which means don't lie. Which means don't tell someone they look really nice today when they don't look really nice today, right? Don't tell someone, hey, that's a good idea when, in, when in fact you think it's a terrible idea. If you're going to have it tell the truth value, then you have to do what it says. Then define the behavior and define it simply in layman's terms. What does it actually mean? And then, then, and then define the concrete, simple core business outcome. So I just making that point when we talk about behaviors that. The, the tendency and, and then ultimately the role that we play in facilitation and in creation of these BBOs, it's not in creating it for people. It's in stopping people from flooding that system with a bunch of, uh, of platitudes. generalisms
3: that no one's yeah, going to do in platitudes
4: yeah. and yeah, keeping right. it simple so that I can follow it.
3: And to tie all this together, at the end of the 2013 football season, Ohio State lost its final two games. In fact, were the first two losses under the leadership of Urban Meyer, 24-0 going into the end of the season, and lost in the Big Ten Championship, and then lost in the Orange Bowl. And then he and I sat down following that, and we we evaluated, and it was clear was that Urban Meyer, in his own way of coaching and leading, had a very definitive culture he was trying to communicate, but it wasn't written down in this framework that where there was no blueprint for it written down, so everyone could see it and understand with clarity. Exactly what behaviors are being asked of me, and it wasn't being taught by all the assistant coaches with the same degree of clarity and consistency that Coach Meyer was. So we created a VBO, a cultural blueprint for Ohio State for the 2014 season. We created it in end of January 2014, and that was the blueprint for building the culture, and not building the culture, reinforcing the culture that Urban Meyer's already believed. He didn't need us. I didn't create it. Uh, is stuff you already believed in. We just, formulate, we just put it in a form that made it real easy to understand what behavior do you want me to engage in every day as a part of this football team. For example, Answer. relentless effort is one of Urban Meyer's core beliefs. The core behavior is you put your foot in the ground, you go four to six seconds, point A to point B as hard as you can. And that's what it is. That's the behavior. Go four to six A to B. You ask any player at Ohio State – What's relentless effort I mean? He goes 4-6A to, to B. There is no hesitation. That's exactly what it means. The outcome you get, if you do that all the time, is that you're tougher than any situation or opponent that you face.
4: And and, and, that's, and that's the, the culture, culture he
3: got, and that's how they behaved during the 2014 season in the playoffs. And, Kelly, that applies to everything
4: and every person inside of Ohio State, every, every equipment manager, every coach every recruiting coordinator is responsible for that exact same behavior because they will be tougher than every situation they encounter. They will be tougher than any inconvenience they encounter on the road recruiting or or with late nights uh, in, in the film room or late nights in the laundry room, whatever they may be. So the culture permeates everything, not just players.
1: Absolutely fascinating stuff, guys wow i mean i 've I've got two pages of notes, and I know we could do this for another couple of hours and I could continue to fill pages it 's been a real treat to have you guys on board and i 'm really excited because taking what you 've done with Ohio State and showing people a real tangible formula, a real methodology, a real step by step process this is what this is what the workplaces in america need and and, and I know this is going to be a very very popular podcast because you've given people a lot to think about. It is Tim and Brian Kite, K-I-G-H-T. And, again, you can find them online at uh, Focus3OrganizationalCulture.com. Guys, thank you so much for joining me on Biz Locker Radio. So much appreciate Absolutely. Thanks,
3: yeah, You're welcome.
1: Thanks, All right, stay stay with us everybody. We're going to take our final timeout. We'll come back on the other side. Marissa Levin will join me. We'll talk about strategies for increasing your peak productivity in the workplace. Should be a nice segue from Tim and Brian. This is Kelly Riggs and you're listening to Biz Locker
2: Radio on Voice America. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
5: Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com.
1: Hi, this is Kelly Riggs, the host of BizLocker Radio. How do you take a company from zero to a $100 million in sales revenue in only seven years? Learn how in the brand new book by Mark Roberge, The Sales Acceleration Formula. As the chief revenue officer for HubSpot, Mark Roberge hired, trained, and managed a sales team to create over 12,000 new clients in 70 countries. Now in his brand new book, The Sales Acceleration Formula, he shares the art and science of building predictable sales revenue from the ground up. Learn how this MIT-trained engineer put data and technology at the foundation of his sales methodology to grow from zero to $100 million in sales in only seven years. The Sales Acceleration Formula will teach you how to predictably hire and train salespeople and scale your sales revenue. Pre-order the Sales Acceleration Formula by Mark Roberge at Amazon.com today.
2: America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
1: Hi, I'm John Spence, one of the top 100 business thought leaders in the world, and you're listening to the Business Locker Room with Kelly Riggs. Hey, coming back in the Business Locker Room, great to have you on board. Fantastic interview with both Tim and Brian Kite. We'll talk more about that in future shows, but I'm privileged to be joined by one of our regulars, one of our coaches. In fact, the only female coach in the business locker room. We've got to do something about that. She is Marissa Levin, and you can uh, follow her on Twitter at Marissa Levin. Her website is SuccessfulCulture.com. Marissa, great to have you back on the show. It's great to be here. Hey, we're going to talk about uh, strategies for peak productivity. You sent me a great blog post and I really got uh, in, in, into this as I was reading it. And, uh, and I, su- I suspect you do a lot of this in dealing with the people that you coach. How, how, how often is peak productivity one of those uh, items that you have to address with people that you work with?
0: Every single client I have has productivity issues.
1: <laughs> I would have been shocked if you said anything else. One of the neat things you do in the blog post is you break it down into three things. Time management, energy management, and prioritization which is kind of interesting how do you get to those three pieces
0: so i really look at peak productivity as the integration of all three of these so time management you know we all have a limited number of hours in the day kelly and What we do with that time is critical. A lot of people confuse busy with productive. So there are a lot of things that we can be doing with our time that will make sure that we're maximizing its efficiency. The first thing is to say no. People don't realize that the word no is actually a complete sentence. We have a tendency to want to say yes to everything because it feels good. We want to help others. And we think, oh, if you want something done, just go ahead and give it to a busy person. Well, the truth is, the more we say no, then the more room we can make for our priorities. So that means that we have to limit volunteering. We have to say no to lunch and coffee appointments. And it's not that we don't want to be available to those that want to connect with us, but there are alternative ways to connect. And I'll tell you that what I do is I do several 15-minute Skype sessions or Google Hangouts a week. And when I do that, What I make sure that we do is prior to getting on the call, I actually have the person who has requested time with me give me their three objectives for our time together. So whether we're getting together for 15 minutes or 45 minutes or if we have an hour-long meeting, it doesn't matter how long time together is. What matters is that it's structured and it's outcome-driven. So, uh, again, I never do lunch or coffee. It's very rare that I do that because my time, is so valuable, but I do make time for people who really want to talk with me and I make sure that it's very structured. So that's one of the things that we can do to manage our time.
1: Well, it's, it's Another really thing, inter- well I was going to say, it's really interesting you say that because, you know, some people that may sound uh, selfish or e- even arrogant, but when you begin to realize how much time you spend in transit and travel and, yeah. you know, the, the, the small talk before and after, that, that's an awful lot of time out of an average day for a very busy executive.
0: It's really, it's just too much. And so it's a matter of being highly productive and really maximizing our time together when we get together. And the Skype and the Google Hangouts, I mean, they're still very personal, you know, being able to see them, be able to see their eyes, their expression. You know that they're completely focused on you because they're looking at you. And that's really what people want. They want an authentic connection that is outcome-driven, and you can accomplish that without getting into your car. So that's the first thing, you know, say no to the things that really don't align with any of your goals or your mission and, you know, um, do, do it so that you're using technology to connect rather than having to do it in person. Uh, and, you know, I know that we have a limited amount of time together, so I wanted to run down these as quickly as possible, and then we sure. can lead our um, listeners to the blog for more information. You the bet. second thing for time management, and this is something I'm so guilty of, Kelly, is making decisions quickly. One of the things that I fall into a lot is what I call analysis paralysis, and what happens is when I'm trying to do something, or am, and I'm doing research. Like for example, I'm setting up a media studio in my home right now, and I want to do weekly videotapings that I'm launching in June. I'm launching Transformation Tuesdays. So there's so much information out there on video equipment, and whether it's lighting, or um, or uh, the microphones, or cameras, or um, you know the teleprompter software that you can put on your iPad. The amount of information is overwhelming. And so in order for me to actually move forward as opposed to just get stuck reading all of this information, we have to say, okay, I am going to reach out to one or two experts, I'm going to gather their information, I'm going to make my list, and I'm not going to look at any more information. Because we all get caught up in analysis paralysis, we can just do research upon research upon research, and then we're not moving forward. So make decisions quickly, own the decision, and move forward. A third thing that we can do for our time management, is to, like I mentioned, is to set the agenda and Mm -hmm. also to set the time limits on things that can really drag us down a rabbit hole. So doing research, coming up with a new idea, networking events. You know, one of the things that I really want to add to my website is a leadership quiz, but there's so many different software apps out there, and I found myself completely getting sucked down a rabbit hole, playing with all of them, So I have finally made a decision on which tool that I'm going to use and I'm going to create a time budget for the creation of the leadership tool and then I'm going to get it up there and I'm going to move on because it's all about progress, not perfection. So that's the other strategy for time management.
3: Well, you know,
1: Um, uh, let me let me jump in for a second, because I want to uh, as I listen to you, what I'm hearing is you actually give consideration and thought to these kinds of things. And I I suspect that many executives, uh, I know certainly I have been this way, we're guilty of of, of responding very quickly and off the seat of the, you know, our pants and, you know, just making decisions right and left. And that really is a serious enemy of being productive uh, of productivity, is it not?
0: It's huge. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, we really have to be thoughtful and intentional with our decisions, with our time, and that brings us to the next issue or the next strategy of time management, which is delegation, right? Because when we're working on the wrong things, then we're sucking our time, our money, and our energy, and we're being put in the position of not working from our strengths. So, Really, you know, be strategic and willing to delegate. I'm helping a client right now work through that because she's got an an executive that works for her who – really doesn't want to delegate a lot, and it's really creating a bottleneck in her organization. So now I'm working with that executive to kind of get them comfortable with letting go of some of the things they're doing. So learning how to delegate and encouraging your team to delegate will also free up you to be focusing on the things that you're really good at. There's lots of other stuff for time management, Kelly, on my website, but I'm going to move on to energy management because we're short on time and I want to be as productive as possible since we're talking <laughs> about productivity.
1: Yeah, outstanding, um, Yes.
0: So, every- energy management, this is really important. So um, you know me um, well enough to know that I'm very into um, meditation, mindfulness. I'm very aware of the energy of other people and how that impacts us. So when we think of energy management, it's really a two-pronged approach. The first thing is to be aware of our own energy and work with it. So know when you are most productive to handle specific tasks. When is your concentration the highest? When do you have um, the most physical stamina if you need to do something physical. Some tasks take more mental energy than others. So just knowing your energy rhythm is really necessary for peak productivity. The other prong of energy management is to be aware of other people's energy and to really distance yourself or put a force field around yourself from negativity because every single person you meet projects some type of energy. And we need to be really cognizant of protecting our own energy by putting that force field around ourselves so that we're not impacted by negative energy of other people. And if you can't distance yourself, then know what your triggers are and don't allow yourself to be dragged down because some people are what I like to call energy tornadoes. They literally (laughs) suck you in, but it's not your job to fix everyone else's problems. So be very, very aware of the energy of others and the energy of yourself and be aware of the impact that other people's drama has on you and do not engage again getting back to saying no we can say no when others try to bring us in we can help them without becoming a drama victim so just be really aware of your own energy other people's energy because it will impact your productivity
1: There's a reason why Marissa is so successful with her clients, folks. She can take a lot of things and do a lot of things with you. And this is a fantastic blog post. I want to encourage you to go find it, SuccessfulCulture.com. Find her blog. It's called Three Integrated Strategies for Peak Productivity. She talks about time management, energy management, and the one we didn't even get to is prioritization. We will do that one in the future, Marissa. Always great to have you on the show. I really feel like I shortchanged you. I apologize that you're – your content is absolutely amazing. It's what this uh, show is all about. It's been great to have you on board, and uh, you will be coming back, I can assure you.
0: All right. Thanks a lot, Kelly, and I wish everybody a
1: productive week. Yeah, absolutely. Marissa Levin, uh, follow her on Twitter at Marissa Levin. Find her at successfulculture.com. That's going to wrap up show number 50 here on Biz Locker Radio. It's brought to you by the Business Locker Room, and you'll always find it here on Voice America, the business channel. Many thanks to Michael Surgit, my engineer who makes us sound better than we really are, and also to Brandy Jackson, our executive producer. We're going to see you next time. I'm Kelly Riggs. Follow us at bizlockerradio.com. We'll see you next week.